0: Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
2: Hey, Tom Harbin here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. It's supported by advertising, so after this brief message, we'll get right into it. Our podcast today is supported in part by phone.com, the same folks who invented VOIP phone service, offering now talk, text, fax, audio and video conferencing, and more at the lowest price out there. Amazing features. Check it out at phone.com and use the code Tom, T-H-O-M, for a 20% discount. Phone.com and use the code Tom, T-H-O-M. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program, broadcasting on commercial radio stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent, on Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio and every U.S. military base in the world and your electronic device via TuneIn, Progressive Voices, Tom Hartman app, and simulcast as television via Free Speech TV Network on Dish Network, DirecTV, and cable systems all over the country. (laughs) <laughs> there is so much in the news. It's hard to know where to begin. I suppose Trump's smearing about three quarters of all American Jews at the same time that he thinks he's bragging. I mean, this is really actually an anti-Semitic trope that Trump is promoting. He thinks he's attacking Rashida Talib and Ilhan Omar. And by the way, I don't know if you saw this absolutely viral video of them. Trump made fun of it and said, oh, Talib has tears. I didn't see it until yesterday afternoon. It was after he had already said or tweeted something sarcastic about it. But where Rashida Talib, whose grandmother is Palestinian and lives in the occupied West Bank, was on the edge of tears. She wasn't crying. And Ilhan Omar was like, you know, stay strong. It was really remarkable to see the dynamic between these two women and to see the absolute ferocity of their political commitment but on tuesday trump said about congresswomen to leave in omar where have democrats gone where are they defending these two people over the state of israel and i think any jewish people who vote for a democrat i think it shows either a total lack of knowledge or a great disloyalty now disloyalty to whom right rashida taleb and ilhan omar are supporters of the boycott divestment and sanctions movement the bds movement kind of the modern day movement directed at israel that was very similar to the old you know boycott and divestment movement against south africa back during the reagan era when reagan firmly stood with our ally south africa even as they were enforcing apartheid racial separation physical and political and economic separation based on race. And many people would argue that that is what's happening in Israel right now, and thus the BDS movement. And this accusation that Jews in the United States are more loyal to Israel than they are to the United States is absolutely one of the most poisonous anti-Semitic tropes that are out there. This is simply a variation on Hitler's old thing. The Jews were more loyal to the international Jewish movement than they were to Germany. And then, you know, Hungary said that the Jews were more loyal to the Jews than they were to Hungary. And then Poland and, I mean, you know, every country in Europe where Jews were rounded up and slaughtered with the, you know, in many cases, the enthusiastic participation with the Nazis. It was this very trope that was used, this very meme, this very idea that Jews are loyal to anything other than the country in which they're living, that they are a people apart. And that is absolutely not true for the vast majority of Jews. I mean, this is a white supremacist trope using the white supremacist's own definition that jews are not white in quotes and frankly it shouldn't be a surprise here that trump is going after two women of color who are also muslim and he's telling american jews hey if you don't join me in hating these muslim women then you're not loyal to israel really 79 percent of jewish people in the united states in the 2018 election voted for democrats In 2016, 71% of Jewish Americans voted for Hillary Clinton. And then we get Wayne Allen Root, who's been on this program many times. He's one of the few conservatives who's willing to come on and debate me and discuss things with me. Although it's been probably, I don't know what, a year or two since he's been on. He tweeted out. Now, consider this. He tweeted, Wayne Root, who is hard right about as far as they get, right? He tweeted... President Trump is the greatest president for Jews and for Israel in the history of the world. Not just America. He is the best president for Israel in the history of the world. And the Jewish people in Israel love him like he's the king of Israel. They love him like he is the second coming of God. But American Jews don't know him or like him. They don't even know what they're doing or saying anymore. It makes no sense. Now, that's pretty bad. And then Trump retweeted it, thanked Wayne Allen Root for saying this. Wayne Allen Root, by the way, if you haven't caught my debates with him over the years, he's been on here talking about how, on a couple of occasions, how Obama was not born in the United States, how Seth Rich was killed by the Clintons, how the Las Vegas mass shooting was clearly a coordinated Muslim terror attack. And so on. Laura Clausen writing about this over at Daily Coast, by the way, for if you want a deeper dive. So then in Maryland, this guy was arrested. He said, I thank God every day Donald John Trump is president, a neo-Nazi, for threatening Hispanic women. I mean, this is pretty breathtaking. And then a month or so ago, six, eight weeks ago, two men were involved in a single car accident in New Jersey. State police arrived and, you know, it was an accident, right? The police show up and they discover an arsenal of weapons in the car. And so then they go and search the guy's home. Joseph Rubino is his name. And they found 17 guns, brass knuckles, hollow point bullets, and a grenade launcher. He also had a large amount of drugs and neo-Nazi materials, including a very disturbing manual with, quote, instructions on owning a slave, 70 grams of methamphetamine, boxes of bumper stickers and clothing with the SS bolts, which the prosecutors said are common white supremacist and Nazi symbols. Gee, you think? Semi-automatic handguns, shotguns, rifles with scopes, a grenade launcher. And these are the guys who write screeds saying, or the kinds of guys who write screeds saying, like this guy, this neo-Nazi, I thank God every day Donald John Trump is president. What do we do with this? where do we go with this? ShockEye80 is posting over at DU, and, and I think that he makes a really good point. We had a guest on a while ago, a, a former Republican who wrote a book called Everything Trump Touches Dies. Rick Wilson was the Republican strategist who wrote the book. You know, he's been kind of making the rounds. And, you know, at first it sounded like, okay, it's a cute book title. But when you think about it, I mean, President Putin... You know, whether he ordered the Russian involvement in the U.S. election or not, and and there's some debate there, although I think the general consensus in our intelligence community is that he absolutely ordered it, but regardless one way or the other, you know, he probably thought when Trump was elected, hey, I, I, you know, Trump has been saying we need to have a better relationship with Russia, but soon he's going to, Putin is going to have to face the Democrats, and he's going to lose. This is not going to work out well. In fact, so far, it's not working out for Russia well. Israel thinks they won. Trump ended the Iran deal, but it didn't help Israel. In fact, what it did was it stirred up instability in the Middle East and it could be setting the stage for World War III. Israel ejected themselves into our politics. You know, Paul Ryan invited Netanyahu over to speak to Congress and didn't even tell Obama about it. I mean, it was just like completely snubbing the President of the United States. And a lot of Democrats looked at that and said, okay, we know where Israel's loyalties are. You know, the tragedy of this is that Netanyahu doesn't represent Israel's loyalties. He's actually, he's only supported by about a third of Israelis. But because they have a parliamentary system, he's able to form a coalition and, you know, hold things together at the same time that he's been indicted for multiple crimes and his wife. But anyhow, you know, Israel injected themselves into our politics and they lost friends. And I don't think Democrats are going to forget that. So, I mean, even the business leaders thought that they had won with Donald Trump, right? Nope, sorry, they they didn't. The business leaders got screwed, too. I mean, it's like, you know, he's destroying the economy now. It's nuts. I don't know how to describe it beyond that, but I just think it's nuts. As I said, Shock Eye 80 is writing, everyone loses when you elect a lunatic president. And this is so true. I mean, this is just absolutely what's going on. Jackie in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey, Jackie, thanks for listening and tuning in. What's up?
3: Yeah, I wanted to point out another lunatic thing Trump said yesterday. He said he had broad support within the gay community because log cabin Republicans came out and endorsed him. Right. Log cabin Republicans always support the Republican president, and they're a very minority group within the gay community. And even log cabin Republicans quit the organization because they endorsed Trump. He yeah. is reviled within a gay community. To cite long cavity Republicans that say you have broad support within a gay community is just hilarious.
2: Yeah, it really is. I mean Trump has just like, you know, gone around the edge here on this thing. And Jackie, do you think that this is a signal of how deluded Donald Trump is, or is it a signal of how ignorant he is about the subtleties of politics in the united states or do you think he was just hey somebody else said something and i'm gonna you know and it's about me and it's nice and so i'm going to you know fawn all over it
3: i posted today i think he's delusional i really think he is delusional I think what does that mean gonna, well I'd like buying greenland he's not going to be able to buy greenland it's just he needs mental health help. yeah i think he wanted to buy greenland because He subscribes to the pioneer economics theory that that went out with Franklin Delano Roosevelt.
2: Maybe he thinks he can refreeze it and stop sea level rise if we could just put enough refrigerators there. (laughs) You know, it is really quite breathtaking. You've got the prime minister of Greenland. I saw her on TV this morning, and she's like, you know, we were looking forward to a conversation. And by the way. The prime minister is anti-immigrant. She shares Donald Trump's thoughts on immigrants, right? I mean, this isn't the first foreign trip that he's canceled, of course, but man, what a mess. Jackie, thank you for the call. Shock Eye writes, Republicans in Congress thought they won when Trump was elected. They got their judges and their tax cuts. But they may never recover. Voters think they won when Trump was elected. So here we've got, you know, the second coming of God, really, and kind of a variation on my question of, you know, what do we do about this? I think, you know, maybe even a more important question, and one that I've really been grappling with, and frankly, longtime, you know, watchers and listeners to this program know that I've been grappling with this question for, well, actually, through the Bush administration. I was concerned about this. And now with the Trump administration, I'm very concerned about this. The rise of fascism in the United States, and really two forms of fascism, although they merge. I mean, they merged in the Nazi party. They merged in Mussolini's party. They merged in Franco's party in Spain. These two kinds merged in Chile under Allende. They're merging right now in Jair Bolsonaro's Brazil. They merged, obviously, in Turkey under Erdogan. And that is, on the one hand, the people who are the racial haters, the people who would divide people from each other along lines of race, gender, gender identification, religion. In every single one of those cases, we've seen this, right? Oh, those people are your enemy because they are fill in the blank, a different color, a different religion, have a different national origin because they're refugees or immigrants. like I said, fill in the blank. So there's that part of fascism and then the other part of fascism is the classic definition the one that mussolini came up with although he used racial baiting against jews and gypsies in large part but also other immigrants to italy to serve his ends but the other part of it is the merger of corporate and state interests and corporations being amoral psychopaths essentially have obviously no problem with tearing people apart based on race or religion or gender or gender identity. But the larger question, I think, rather than what do we do about this, is where does this take us? I mean, are we going down the road towards something like, well, let's set aside Nazi Germany. I, you know, we don't have yet death camps, although we've had seven children now die in Trump's detention camps. And now the Flores Agreement, which was back in 1997, says that ICE and CBP cannot hold people more than 20 days. Trump rewrote that rule yesterday. Well, actually, Stephen Miller rewrote that rule yesterday, and they're just doing away with it so that families and children can be detained indefinitely. Now that's a violation of the due process protections of the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth amendments to the constitution, but Trump doesn't care. I mean, he'll get sued for this, but I don't think he cares. But in any case, where are we going with this? Is there another country that we can look at or another time in history that we can look at and say, oh yeah, that's where we're going. I don't think it's Nazi Germany. But I think that, you know, Franco's Spain, Mussolini's Italy, Chile, under General Pinochet, maybe China. So the question, can the 25th Amendment be used to stop the second coming of God, that being Donald Trump? Is it time for the 25th Amendment? Or is this something that we show up at the polls for? I mean, since the mass executions in El Paso by a white nationalist citing Donald Trump, six other right-wing terrorists have been stopped and their guns taken away before they could commit crimes. One posted a statement of his purpose, quote, I thank God every day President Donald John Trump is president and that he will launch a racial war and crusade to keep the N-word, SPI word for Hispanics and Muslims and any dangerous non-white or ethnic or culturally foreign group in line. He puts in line in quotes. By in line, it is meant that they were either be sent to concentration camps or dealt with ruthlessly and vigorously by the United States military. Trump's re-election strategy is to activate and encourage his neo-Nazi base, but it's placing the rest of Americans at huge risk. And His concentration camps are destroying the lives of refugees and asylum. And now that he's tweeted that he's a second coming to God, it's even less likely he's gonna to listen to any advice. So it's getting even weirder how do we address a man in the presidency, in the White House? I mean, the 25th Amendment requires the vice president and the cabinet. You know, parts of the cabinet are in and acting. So when you look at the mirror, do you see all those wrinkles under your eyes? Crow's feet, You starting to get under eye bags. Now imagine they're gone. I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery, just gone in minutes. It's a new product, it's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe me? I didn't either until I try it. Now I don't have to imagine it anymore. It made me look like 10 years younger. Simply put, I'm blown away by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. And the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it unless you tell them. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code Tom, T-H-O-M, for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offers Also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code TOM. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TriPlexiderm.com today and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at checkout. That's TriPlexiderm.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. In the Tom Hartman Book Club today, our book is Guns Down, How to Defeat the NRA and Build a Safer Future with Fewer Guns by Igor Volsky. This is from the preface, Shooting Guns in the Desert Can Surprise You, is the title. We don't teach people how to shoot. We teach them how to think. Mike, the second in command at one of the nation's largest firearms training institutes, tells me over an early dinner. We are at a country club 20 miles north of the gun range where I just spent the last two days firing 200 rounds of ammunition and learning how to safely carry and operate a handgun. A tall, distinguished-looking man who bears a slight resemblance to former President George H.W. Bush. Mike is wearing a yellow polo shirt, neat, clean khakis, and a belt with a holstered handgun and two full magazines. As we sit in front of a beautiful Rocky Mountain backdrop, the tops of which will be covered with snow in a matter of months, I take a big swig of coffee and search for a tactful way to ask Mike the question that's been swirling around my brain since my first day of training at the Firearms Institute. I finally blurted out, I still don't understand why you're lying to your clients. A silence falls over our table. As Mike looks away from me, I look directly at him and wait for him to respond. 48 hours earlier, I had boarded a plane to learn how to shoot a handgun from the best instructors in the business. The opportunity arose through my friend Sam, not his real name, who in the course of my writing this book has become my guide to the world of firearm enthusiasts. Sam invited me to travel to the Southwest and experience a two-day firearm training course with people he described as the best instructors in the world. I will take it with you, and then after, you can interview all the trainers, he said. They all hate the NRA. He had arranged for the range to comp me the two-day course and rental equipment, plus complete access to the other students, instructors, and its leadership team. Sam, a white, boyish, fast-talking ex-marine and hardcore gun enthusiast, had passionately pitched the idea to me by phone months earlier. You'll love it and really get a taste for what it's all about. Meet some great people, and I'll do it with you, he said. Fashioning myself as an open-minded and adventurous person, I jumped at the chance. Surround myself with 600 armed Americans and thousands of rounds of ammunition for two full days of gun shooting in the hot desert? Sign me up! What could possibly go wrong? So there I am, a city slicker who hasn't sat behind the wheel of a car in three or four years, driving my fully insured economy rental car literally into a desert at sunrise one Friday morning in October. I'm blasting a local hit station with the Rindas roll down, singing at the top of my lungs in an effort to wake myself up enough to handle a handgun. Yes, I'm belting out SIA while doing 70 down a dirt road without another car in sight. As I get closer, I turn off the radio, make the right turn, and take a deep, deep breath. Ahead of me, I see a line of cars about 30 deep and a large sign displaying the logo of the institute. Next to it is a larger placard, warning, unsafe to enter without authorization, live fire training area. Risk of severe bodily injury or death. I've arrived. Before I know it, I'm on a 500-acre compound in the middle of the mountains. I drive up to the parking lot, suddenly overcome by the vastness of this place, and pull into a spot. Sam meets me and tells me that more than 600 people will be taking 20 different classes at the Institute that day, most of which involve handguns and rifles. After lunch, classes on automatic machine guns will be available. My eyes grow wide at the idea of even being near a machine gun. I smile at him and look around to see people carrying coolers and equipment, behaving as if they're at an amusement park or some kind of sporting event. This is my first feeling of panic, of being found out as an interloper, or worse, a spy in a foreign world. We move into a line for equipment rentals and Sam points out the people in the best tactical outfits and reviews their looks. Finally something I can get into. Sam himself is decked out in a slick black shirt which accentuates his military build and inverted cargo pants with pockets that expand into the leg, an outfit suited for concealed carry, he tells me. Everyone around us is wearing a variation of this military-style clothing, and I realize that these are specialty clothes designed for recreational firearms shooting. Some even have custom hats with their names embroidered on the front and back as if they're actually serving in the military. These folks are really hardcore. It really has become a lifestyle, Sam says to me. I glance down at my jeans and bright red sneakers and realize I've made a horrible mistake. As if reading my mind, he says, you're just fine, and starts to examine the kit. The young attendant has just handed me, making sure I have everything I need. We move forward toward a long row of tables where staffers are inspecting all weapons and ammunition. It's his first time here, Sam says. Magazines, 200 rounds of ammunition, safety goggles, electronic gear protection, holsters, you got it all. The inspector says, mostly for my benefit. I smile and make a mental note that those things that hold the bullets are called magazines not clips and, oh by the way, it's rounds not bullets. Okay, lift your hands up, the attendant says. Before I know it, he and Sam are putting a belt around my waist and sliding the ammunition holder and gun holster onto it. The inspector confidently drops a Glock 17 into the gun holster on my right side, the firing side, and I'm carrying a firearm for the very first time in my life. As Sam and I start to walk away, I try to decide if I feel any different suddenly the inspector calls out after us. Wait, are you the Sam? He asks. Sam turns around and smiles. I've seen your videos and stuff, the inspector enthusiastically tells him, becoming a starstruck fangirl right before our eyes. The book is Guns Down by Igor Volsky. A special little message from Sean Hannity. I think he has so nailed this. Yeah, Sean Hannity. Donald Trump is a direct result of a weak and timid and ineffective and visionless Republican Party. Thank you, Sean. Our thought for the day. This is from, of course, during the primaries when nobody thought Donald Trump would win. I think Sean, I think Sean is probably singing a different song now. Anyhow, Ben Shapiro, right-wing commentator and blogger and God only knows what else, Ben Shapiro said, and I quote, I'm not aware of a single major Republican figure who said that Barack Obama was not the legitimate president of the United States. In response, and there's a nice thread on this over at Democratic Underground that 0571 put up. In response to that, Senator Harry Reid tweeted kind of a tweet storm here. He said, Barack Obama is a very good man. He deserved better than the unprecedented disrespect Republicans have shown him. President Obama is the first president to be asked to show his birth certificate. Yeah, it was pretty disrespectful. And in fact, Donald Trump was leading that. Remember the whole birther movement thing? Number two, Harry Reid says, President Obama is the first president to face over 500 filibusters in the Senate. That's pretty breathtaking. Keep in mind, Mitch McConnell said, my job is to make... Barack Obama, one-term president. Not my job is to do what's best for the country. My job is to pass good legislation. My job is to pass legislation that we as Republicans believe in. And none of that, no. The first black president is going to have no legacy. That's essentially what Moscow Mitch had to say. Or massacre Mitch. Actually, I think we need to be calling him massacre Mitch, because I think you know, far more Americans are concerned about gun violence that's happening in this country right now than whether or not some you know, some Russians were messing with the election. So massacre Mitch. Harry Reid said, President Obama is the first president to be denied a hearing on his budget. Literally, they would not hold a hearing on the budget proposed by the president. First time it's ever happened in the history of America. Oh, you're our black president. You're not legitimate. We're not going to have a hearing on the budget. He was the first president to be denied even a hearing in the Senate on a Supreme Court nominee. I mean, you know, Nixon had, what, three in a row? I mean, this is when it was Bork and it was. He had a couple of terrible nominees before he finally got to, as I recall, Anthony Kennedy. But, you know, the Senate, under a Massacre Mitch, wouldn't even give President Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland, a hearing, much less a vote. Nothing. And by the way, Obama went to Moscow Mitch, or Massacre Mitch, and said... I'm going to have to nominate a Supreme Court justice. Who do I talk to? Because I want to get somebody that's acceptable to Republicans. Mitch said, talk to Orrin Hatch, who was at the time, you know, the senior Republican. I believe on the Judiciary Committee. I might be wrong. It might have been Grassley or somebody else. But anyhow, so Obama goes to Orrin Hatch and says, who is an acceptable nominee for the Republican Party, for the Supreme Court? Who is a a centrist? Somebody that both Democrats and Republicans can agree on. And Orrin Hatch said, Merrick Garland. This is where it came from. It literally came from Warren Hatch. Merrick Garland had been a Republican. And even with all that, you know, bending over and bowing down and doing everything he could, President Obama, to offer a nominee who was not viewed as a partisan, not viewed as a liberal, who was viewed as a moderate, who might be acceptable to the Republicans, kind of a replacement. No, you can't have that. Sorry. And... Senator Harry Reid says, history will look back and note that Republicans in Congress treated President Obama with unprecedented disrespect. Meanwhile, a memo out of the Republican Party, the GOP. This is an internal Republican memo. This from uh, TampaBay.com, the Tampa Bay Tribune. And it was written by Steve Contorno. Congressional Republicans recently circulated talking points on gun violence, that falsely described the El Paso massacre and other mass shootings as, quote, violence from the left, end quote. This is part of the big lie strategy. Some in the media are saying, oh, well, they just made a mistake. They meant to say Dayton. No, they didn't. They meant to say El Paso. You've got a couple of shooters who, yeah, had followed or were enthusiasts of left-wing figures. The guy who shot Steve Scalise at the baseball diamond in Washington, D.C., was apparently a fan of Bernie's. But that's not why he shot Steve Scalise a document obtained by the Tampa Bay Times sent by House Republicans. If you get questions like this in a town hall, we're going to tell you how to answer them. So here are the questions. Why won't you pass legislation to close the gun show loophole in federal law? Why shouldn't we ban high capacity magazines? These are questions that Republicans are getting in town halls. And here are the suggested answers. Oh, here's another question. Do you believe white nationalism is driving more mass shootings recently? Okay, so here's the suggested response. Steer the conversation away from white nationalism with an argument that implies both sides are to blame. This is a verbatim quote from the document. White nationalism and racism are pure evil and cannot be tolerated in any form. We also can't excuse violence from the left, such as the El Paso shooter, the recent Colorado shooters, the congressional baseball shooter, Congressman Gabby Gifford shooter, and Antifa. I mean, this literally was distributed to all these people. And then it, it goes on to say, well, the inclusion of El Paso was a mistake. I don't think so. I really think that this was intentional. And the guy who shot Gabby Giffords, he was paranoid about government. He was obsessed with Gabby Giffords. It had nothing to do with her being a Democrat. Law enforcement really looked into this. In fact, it's not even certain that he was a Democrat. The shooters last May at the Colorado High School were both teenagers, And they were both bullied. This didn't have anything to do with politics. 73.3 percent of U.S. extremist related murders in the past 10 years were committed by right-wing extremists, according to the the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League. And of course, FBI Director Christopher Wray says, yeah, this is what's going on. And now in just two weeks since the massacre in El Paso, federal and local authorities have stopped four mass shooters that were on their way. They were just about to commit mass murders. One in Nevada, one in Florida, one in Ohio, one in Connecticut. Just in the last 10 months, there have been six deadly shootings in the United States linked to far-right views. And we have stopped four major mass shootings just in two weeks. This is what Trump has been promoting. We've talked about barbecuing while black is illegal, obviously playing with toy guns while being a black child is illegal, selling loose cigarettes on the street while black is illegal, walking down the street while black is illegal, Sandra Bland driving and changing lanes to get out of the way of of an oncoming police car is illegal while black, all of these things while black. Well, it turns out now that going door-to-door to fundraise for your football team while black is a crime. This in Wynn, Arkansas. A group of four teenage black kids, 15 to 16 years old, who were going door to door to raise money for their football team, which is a fairly common thing. This is, you know, normal stuff. 46-year-old woman, Jerry Kelly, and the husband is the cross-county jail administrator of this woman, and she goes out and pulls a gun on these kids and tells them to get down on the ground and is holding them at gunpoint and calls the police for whom her husband works she ends up getting arrested but oh, they didn't book her i mean they didn't take her picture you know we wouldn't want to embarrass her we'll let her come back in a couple of days when she's you know fixed up her makeup and stuff this is the country that trump is creating for us it's astonishing So what are the worst policies? What are the worst plans? What are the worst things he has done so far that may have the most lasting impact or even just are just the most outrageous? Hey, it's summer. Have you been out playing, chasing the dog, walking the dog, whatever it may be, and you're getting a little stiff or a little sore? Hey, check out CBD oil. It's a powerful pain reliever and anti-inflammatory. And the best one in the market, in my opinion, is New Leaf Naturals, N-U-Leaf Naturals. They make a CBD oil that is extraordinary. You don't get high from this stuff. It's it's not... From medical marijuana, it's from hemp, but it is a cannabinoid, just like in marijuana. But it doesn't get you high. It's non-toxic, and the brand that Louise and I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. N. U. Leaf Naturals, the highest quality CBD oil in the market, 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp, so it's legal and it remains in its pure and simple form. Go to NewleafNaturals.com. That's n. u. naturals.com Save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code Tom T. H O M. Go to NU for premium cannabinoid wellness is only one place, newleafnaturals.com. Alice in Iowa. Hey Alice, what's your vote for Trump's worst thing?
0: I have many. As a matter of fact, the worst thing that this guy does. Is he tries to distract us from things that he's actually doing? The worst things that he's doing, the lying, the dictators that he's embracing, the way that he is alienating our friends around the world. What he's doing to us globally is just, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Not only that, but then what he does here domestically, the nepotism, the lining his pockets, lining the pockets of his friends, putting them in office when they have absolutely no credibility, they have no experience, putting his family in office when they can't even get a security clearance. How do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our nation when we have
2: governance that is trying to destroy us? Right. How do we protect ourselves from the Trump crime family? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Thank you very much, Alice bryant in south haven mississippi your vote
1: hey Tom. how you doing i'm Good. just about five miles from the king rock rose house
2: oh my okay you know who you're talking is? about elvis right yeah yeah well uh my concern with
1: uh trump is his name calling it's funny to the other side and, and you know everything like that but it, in reality if he's going to call people names I believe that we should call him and his ill an effective name and his family, his whole
2: family, white trash. And well, poor folks. but that's an insult to poor white people. I mean,
1: no, we're going to turn it around. Uh-huh. He
2: just because just for I'm calling him orange trash. Be, rich people can be white trash. Just because you you got money, don't mean you can't be white trash. Yeah, what I'm saying. I, you know I used that phrase once on the air a couple maybe a year or so ago, and this one woman wrote me this long letter about you know how she lives in a trailer park and she's had to put up with this phrase her whole life and it's very hurtful, etc. And I I took that to heart.
1: You know I understand that I really do because I have read a book from a, an author I can't remember her name but the name of the book was White Trash. Yeah, I've got it at and home with you know struggles of class struggles. Yes. You know it's the rich that are calling the poor these names.
2: Yeah, and it was a and woman it, who wrote that book. I, I just paper. can't remember her name. I got to move along but thank you for the call. Appreciate it. John in Hillsboro, Oregon. Hey John, what's on your mind?
1: Well, I think Trump is running this whole country like organized crime and I put an analogy the Godfather series
2: sure and I mean it's all right there in the sopranos too I mean uh, the, yeah this is yeah. this is the trump crime family There's michael cohen out. pointed it out
1: yeah hollywood has nothing on reality.
2: Yeah, really there is. you go. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where if you try to write it as a screenplay, nobody would buy it. They'd say, no, no, this, is, this isn't even possible. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm that, with what's you.
1: So, what's so sickening, it's reality. It's actually happening. So.
2: Yeah, it really is. John, thanks for the call. Norma in Inverness, Florida. Norma, what do you think is the worst?
0: Well, I don't think there's really a worst. They're all bad. And what I think The problem with who he's appointing Bill Barr, Brett Kavanaugh, DeVos,
2: Neil Gorsuch.
0: He's putting people people in that can make even worse policies. So we have the future to look to. I get up every morning and wait to see what he's treated or what he's signed that's going to be the new worst.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And excellent point, Norma. And let's be very clear what these guys believe in there actually is an ideology here i mean some of them are just suck-ups and toadies to billionaires and the corporations that made them billionaires but most of them the guys who actually get through the federalist society and thus get appointed to lifetime appointments on the federal bench and Trump is now appointed more than any other president in history most of these guys actually believe this ideology that Russell Kirk laid out in 1951 in his book The Conservative Mind that You can't really trust the people. By the way, this is an ideology that John Adams embraced as president. This is not new. That you can't trust the average person to have any meaningful role in governance. That the only people who really know how a country should be run are the people who have demonstrated their brilliance and their competence by becoming rich and by becoming successful in business. And so the marketplace should decide our leaders. I mean, you know, back in Adams' time, it was, well, only people who own land should be allowed to vote, you know, because they're the wealthy ones, they're the smart ones, they're the ones who, you know, but whatever. And this ideology, this ideology of aristocracy, essentially, of oligarchy, is actually embraced by a lot of these Supreme Court nominees. Fran in Seattle, what do you think is the worst thing Trump has done?
0: It seems to me that the worst thing the Trump administration is doing is essentially trying to privatize any and all aspects of government right. and you know, embracing the Chicago School of Economics. It seems like he's he's using the shock doctrine in the United States, using the mainstream media, which is too consolidated in its ownership, to divide people and pass these policies and the eventual goal, I think, is to kill the government of the United States and to privatize all functions except for collection of taxes to distribute to corporations.
2: Yeah. Yeah, this, this, which is the definition, by the way, Mussolini's definition of fascism.
0: Yeah. The corporate so, state. There you go. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mussolini <laughs> went so far talking as to
0: about extending corporate power.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Mussolini went so far as to uh, dissolve parliament, replace it with the Cameo di Fatsizio Corporazioni. forgive my terrible Italian, but the chamber of <laughs> fascist corporations in each congressional district in Italy, instead of electing a representative, the largest corporation in that congressional district or their equivalent parliamentary district would send their representative for the new chamber of fascist corporations. And and that's kind of where we're at right now, at least on the Republican side. Friend, thank you. That's an excellent one. Gail in Antelope, California, your vote?
0: Hi. I think that Trump's worst policy is his failure to condemn the white supremacist movement. That's causing so much just chaos and pain and suffering in our nation. And death and actually we need to stop referring to those people as supremacists. There's nothing supreme about them. Yeah. I mean, they want to blame everybody for their state in life. You know, it's like the brown person, the black person, everybody's fault. But there's the gay person, the liberal person. The person who's responsible for that is the person they see in the mirror.
2: Yeah, there you go. Yep.
0: Pushing people around it gives them some sort of power or some sort of elevation and status. And there's always a bigger bully.
2: There you go. Gail, thank you. That's a great one. Valerie in San Diego. Hey, Valerie, Louise said you you pulled over to the side of the road so that you could call us. And thank you for waiting.
0: You know, there's. Two things that really disturbed me the most and actually made me cry because they're virtually irreversible and that's the most upsetting I think and that is of course the mental health of the children at the border mm. and the other thing yeah of course and the other thing more recently is the possibility that they might sell off all of our public land they were yeah, the of people have them they're not going to give it back right. it's going to be there forever And that scares the heck out of me i've been to a lot of the national parks and it still makes me choke up yeah thinking about it
2: yeah yeah i'm with you excellent contributions to the list valerie thank you very much tim in los angeles hey tim your uh, vote
4: yeah i was gonna say my biggest peeve and fear is the way that he disrespects the sovereignty of absolutely everybody. I know that we have, this country's been doing this since I was born 72 years ago, that, you know, battling in other countries and disregarding their sovereignty. For you example, know, agree. well, pulling out of the Iran thing. And, okay. Uh,
2: you mean the Iran yeah, nuclear deal, yeah.
4: Yeah, and invading Venezuela, mm. you know. And, you know, I know we've been doing these kinds of things. Forever, but he seems to be the best at it of anybody we've had so far. Yeah. And that really concerns me because I've always said, you know how America's going to end? The rest of the world is going to be forced to unite against us. Yeah, for their
2: own survival. Right, and the way that they'll probably first do it is by abandoning the dollar as the reserve currency of the world. I see that happening. If Trump gets reelected and we continue down this road, I see that happening within a decade, and maybe yeah. well, maybe one, even three, three or four years. Do, he's going to pull us out of the arms mm-hmm. thing with, between Russia and the. Yeah, trans- he did that. He Russia. did that last week. He pulled us out of the anti-ballistic missile treaty. Yeah. And now the, the the reality he's, is that, that Russia already. has been. Russia has been violating that treaty, but the way that you force enforcement of a treaty is not to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter anymore. We'll go, we'll go our own way, too. That's not how you do it. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. But he doesn't want to take on anything from any of the authoritarian leaders anywhere in the world. He's, he's not going to challenge Modi. He's not going to challenge Duterte. He's got, not going to challenge Bolsonaro. He's not going to challenge yeah. Putin. He's simply not going to do it because these people are his role models. This is who he thinks we should be modeling ourselves after. Jim, thanks you- for the call. Peter in Waldorf, Maryland. Hey, Peter, what's your vote?
1: Eventually, they're going to come for you. Who's going to speak out for you? And I'm referring to his immigration policy and the fact that not only are they deporting illegal immigrants, they've even gone so far as to deport people here that have a legal status, either through citizenship or visas, and they all happen to be people of color
2: yeah and uh this one kid who got who i mean literally grew up in america he was iraqi and and they sent him back to iraq and he's a type one diabetic and he died three days after he got there because he couldn't get his insulin i mean this is this is trump land aj in gainesville virginia aj your vote
0: listen i vote for the normalization of this crazy out of control administration too many things to mention the things that he's done to harm the country but i also wanted to add that none of this would still be going on i believe if he wasn't being enabled by the media and that's why i was so happy when beto spoke up uh, a couple of weeks ago and said hey wtf press you know the answers to these questions this is what they did all the way back in 2015 tom They helped him get elected in the first place, and they're warming up to help him again.
2: Yeah. Every utterance he speaks gets reported at great length. I'm with you. AJ, thank you. Laura in Petaluma, California. Hey, Laura, your vote?
0: My vote is for Moscow Mitch and him allowing them to get in contact with congressmen and and put uh, oligarchs in charge of businesses in their states. That Mm -hmm. terrifies me.
2: Ah oh, yeah. Okay, so the Russian oligarchs and Moscow Mitch. That's pretty grody, too. Thank you. Michael in Denver, California. Hey, Michael, what's your vote?
3: Hi, I'm Tom. I was struggling between Paris climate accord, but I just want to mention here, what I'm very sad about and angry about is my father and my uncles fought in World War II and what uh, Trump did to turn his back on our on our allies
2: in europe it was one of the
3: greatest slaps in the face not just to them but to the american people and what we have done you know
2: yeah and what we stand for and you know i'm with you michael thank you excellent one you're listening to tom hartman You know there's a lot of things that influence how well you sleep from the quality of your sheets to your blankets how warm the room is how warm your bed is and it's that how warm your bed is that's a really big piece of it you know so many of us you know wake up in the middle of the night throw the blankets off then wake up again and put the blankets back on well what if your bed did all that for you essentially by regulating its own temperature there's a new bed that does that it's called the pod by eight sleep e-i-g-h-t sleep.com is the website 8sleep.com slash Tom, in fact, and the pod dynamically measures your temperature. You don't have to wear anything. It's like the bed is actually measuring your temperature throughout the night, knows, because, you know, it's programmable and programmed. They know when you need a cooler bed, when you need a warmer bed, and it automatically adjusts all night long to keep you in a nice, pleasant, deep sleep. Plus, you can get the biometrics after you're done. So if you want to sleep better, check out the pod, because the better you sleep, the better you everything. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and arrange your free pickup only at 8sleep.com slash tom. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com T-H-O-M. They've already sold out the first two batches, so they're going fast. For a limited time, you get 150 bucks off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com tom. E I G H T Sleep dot com slash T H O M. And welcome back to our Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from Devil's Bargain by Joshua Green, the subtitle Steve Bannon, Donald Trump, and the Storming of the Presidency. This is from the afterword, the very last chapter. It's titled Kali Yuga, which in Hinduism is when the earth goes into a phase of destruction. In the shell-shocked aftermath of the election, President Obama, looking shaken, appeared in the White House Rose Garden to deliver public remarks intended to project a sense of calm, a sense, really, that the basic stability of our country remained intact. Sun is up, Obama said. I know everybody had a long night. I did as well. Had a chance to talk to President-elect Trump last night about 3.30 in the morning, I think it was, to congratulate him on winning the election, end of quote. The next day, when the two men appeared together in the Oval Office, it felt as if the world had slipped through the looking glass. Trump quickly named Bannon his chief White House strategist. Republicans controlled every branch of government. but Trump's ability to defy every political norm, anything seemed possible. Who could argue otherwise after what had just transpired? And yet, within days of his inauguration, Trump's White House was plunged into chaos and scandal, from which it has not recovered and may never bannon the imaginative reconceiver of u.s politics hung streams of paper listing trump's promises from the walls of his west wing office his strategy as always was to launch furious attacks this time to quote shock the system and quote and rapidly reorient the federal government in a more nationalist direction he called this with what i took to be intentional irony a shock and awe approach to asserting trump's power But trump's flurry of activity quickly ran into problems There was his executive order sprung a week after his inauguration, banning immigrants from seven majority Muslim countries, which set off nationwide protests and was blocked by the courts. His firing two weeks later of National Security Director Michael Flynn for contacts with the Russians, the collapse of his first major legislative initiative, a bill to repeal Obamacare, his firing of FBI Director James Comey and the swift descent of the West Wing into a viper's nest of backstabbing and leaks. This quick turn toward a crack-up was hardly unforeseeable or even altogether surprising, but it contrasted sharply with the success of a candidate who had dominated his opponents, shaped news coverage, and shown himself to be all but impervious to the forces that overwhelm other politicians. Bannon, whose wild gambits in the campaign had invariably paid off, seemed to run out of magic tricks when Hillary Clinton was no longer a target. The government wasn't as malleable to Trump and Bannon's aggressions as the Republican Party and the cable news channels had been, and they found themselves consistently thwarted and undermined by the courts, by right-wing hardliners in Congress, by their own inexperience and Trump's errant tweets, and by the bureaucracy they were now overseeing. The crises these failures precipitated in the White House cost Bannon much of his influence and soon threatened Trump's presidency. While still early in his term, the possibilities Trump's most ardent supporters once imagined for his presidency already seem to be mostly foreclosed. I think there are three main reasons why Trump's administration has so quickly fallen into disorder and confusion. Number one, Trump thought being president was about asserting dominance. Just after he locked up the GOP nominations, Trump said something to me that crystallized his view of politics and explains to my mind much of his subsequent difficulties. Quote, I deal with people that are very extraordinarily talented people, he told me. I deal with Steve Wynn. I deal with Carl Icahn. I deal with killers that blow these politicians away. It's not even the same category. This, he meant politics. This is a category that's like 19 levels lower. You understand what I'm saying? Brilliant killers. Trump was equating politics with business and the presidency with the job of being a big shot CEO, a killer. He filled the upper ranks of his administration with people of a similar mindset. Gary Cohn, Wilbur Ross, Steve Bannon, aggressive, domineering men accustomed to getting their way by dint of their position. None had government experience, nor did many others in the West Wing. So none anticipated the problems this approach to governing would cause. Trump's self-conception as the all-powerful apprentice boss blinded him to a fundamental truth of the modern presidency, that the president needs Congress more than the Congress needs the president. Trump's domineering instinct served him poorly, as most members of Congress are secure in their jobs and accountable mainly to their own constituents. And it backfired disastrously when Trump fired Comey after he refused to submit to a pledge of loyalty to his boss. Number two, Trump ran against the Republican Party, Wall Street, and Paul Ryan, but then took up their agenda. Populists often struggle to govern, but Trump scarcely attempted to lead the populist revolution that he promised. In May, he told me he would transform the Republican Party into a Workers' Party, But while he kept voicing populist sybyoles, the legislative agenda he took up was the standard conservative fare pushed by Paul Ryan. in the GOP primary, Trump has shrewdly sensed its weak point. Ryan's desire to finance tax cuts for the rich by cutting programs like Social Security and Medicaid armed the party's white blue-collar base. Trump told me he'd made this point to Ryan directly. He said, Quote, There's no way a Republican is going to beat a Democrat when the Republican is saying, We're going to cut your social security, and the Democrat is saying, We're going to keep it and give you more. The book is Devil's Bargain by Joshua Green. Terry in Long Island, listen on WBAI. Hey Terry, what's up?
0: Hey, how you doing? I'm Ms. Dented. This was never done before, but nobody's doing
3: anything.
2: Right. Well, the remedy is impeachment. And if it wasn't for the Department of Justice memo, one during the Nixon administration with, from the Nixon Justice Department, and the second mm-hmm. during the Clinton administration during the Clinton impeachment hearings, where the Department of Justice working for Clinton and Nixon said, no, you can't indict a sitting president because their job is just so, they're so busy all the time. Now, keep in mind, one out of three days since Trump was elected, he's spent at Trump Properties. He plays golf constantly. He watches TV for 10 hours a day. I mean, he certainly has time to deal with an actual criminal proceeding. But, but so far, the Justice Department has taken this position that you can't indict a sitting president. So, number one, <laughs> this is what impeachment's for. And number two, frankly, in my opinion, this is what the criminal law is for. And one of the first things yeah. that Congress needs to do once the Democrats get control of it is change the law, is actually pass a law saying that no man or woman is above the law, and that if exactly. a president commits a crime in the present or in the past, and the knowledge of it comes forward, that they can be charged under the criminal statutes of the country
0: yes and what's so scary is i just want to say real quick is it reminds me too much of what happened with hitler they knew what he was doing and they let him get bigger and stronger and make decisions and do things that he shouldn't have done until it became a catastrophe and i feel like this is what is happening with this man he is getting too much Time in order to do horrendous things—that things that won't even be able to be repaired.
2: I agree. And as laid out in Milton Mayer's book, they thought they were free. The Germans went along with this step by step by step, because every yes. every change was an incremental change. It was a little incremental change. Oh, we're going to stop. Yes. We're going to militarize the border. Oh, we're going to put some immigrants in jail. Oh, we're going to put exactly. a few more immigrants in jail. Oh, some children got separate. You know, and it's like if you had just started with the extreme policies where we are right now, people would have exploded into the streets. But because they did it incrementally over a two and a half year period, exactly. and the other thing, Terry, that the Germans were always waiting for was the one big shocking thing that Hitler was going to do where they could revolt. And that one big mm-hmm. shocking thing never came because everything and was, you know, right up to the death camps. It was all incremental. The death camps exactly. were, the, were the consequence of the concentration camps. The concentration exactly. camps are the consequence of the initial detentions. Yes.
0: And that's the problem with Donald Trump. is not that
2: he's smart. It's just that he is aware
0: that he's able to use the laws that are in place right now, in order to do the things that he's doing. Yeah, so I'm completely with you. So he enough about that. He's listening to his lawyers, or he's listening to anybody that knows about the law. And step by step, he's probably saying, "Can I do this? And what what would be the there um, consequences?" There you go. There you go. You're of? absolutely right. Saying, You're All absolutely is right.
2: Be held. But I completely agree with you. Thank you for the call. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. On the line with us is uh, the author of Sideswiped, Bob Nay, former congressman from Ohio. Bob, what's up in the world today?
1: Well, we're looking in particular on the immigration side at the announcement by the Trump administration that they're going to attempt to basically overturn what's known as the Flores Settlement Agreement and of course that was made in 1997 and it had a 12-year court battle which went actually up into the Supreme Court a portion of it before the settlement you know actually occurred by the way it was as a result of a 12-year-old girl there was actually two girls but the famous name became Jenny Flores and she was held in Pasadena in a hotel room and was subject to body cavity strip searches she was kept in rooms with adults totally unrelated to them. They didn't know them. Uh, And this all occurred back in 1985. Hmm. I don't think people really realized what happened back there. It was no suitable living accommodations, food, appropriate clothing, hygiene, nothing, no school. So as a result of this, it wound through the court system again after a 12-year period. So this was pretty thoroughly vetted, Tom. And then the settlement and agreement came, and that would be that there would be a release after 20 days. That way, there would not be expanded detentions and family Uh detentions. So this new rule, basically, Tom, what it will do is it'll eliminate that stipulation that undocumented children and teens be released after 20 days. Now, on the surface, what you're going to hear from the administration is that, look, they'll be held just for a 90-day period is what they're going to be held. But if you look at the facts, a report from the Washington Post, which was in just May of this year, indicates there's a backlog of more than 850,000 immigration cases in the U.S. and 450 judges to hear them. So if you start to just do the numbers, there is no way this is just going to be a 90-day deal and then their case is going to be heard This yeah. will be long-term detention
2: so this is stephen miller pushing his yeah. cruelty at all costs let me add to this for you bob i don't know if you caught this nbc news is just now reporting that the trump administration is proposing that even when the federal government grants asylum to somebody somebody comes to the united states applies for asylum a judge hears their case and says yes you are a legitimate asylum seeker you may settle in the united states legally for a period of time, right, even when that happens, that individual states and individual towns can refuse to take them. Can say, sorry, asylum seekers are not welcome in our town. Amazing. Yeah. Through a rule. Yeah, a policy change.
1: The other story, Tom, I don't know what to say about the Greenland story. I actually had a theory maybe that last week they were in the Oval Office and the president said, okay, now for next week, how about I propose we buy Greenland?
2: right it's reality TV he's doing it brilliantly
1: because it makes absolutely no sense to put that out then he has a trip to Denmark and the Prime Minister of Denmark of course uh, she came out and said look this is up to Greenland anyways actually she was hoping it was a joke and so as a result then he cancels the trip to Denmark if this was about purchasing Greenland, and that's why he was going to go to Denmark. He could have made a phone call. You don't set up a trip. So right. I just looked at this entire story, and I figured that it seriously had to be planned out, or possibly they just didn't want to go to Denmark for some reason and then said, hey, let's buy Greenland, knowing it
2: would be turned down. Yeah. I don't know. Sure I'm an Occam's Razor kind of guy. I, I think he right. got a burr under his Love saddle you. about this thing, and it blew up in his face. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Bob Nay, thank you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. Great talking with you. And thank you for being with us today and throughout this week so far. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the Tom Hartman program, continuing to uh, chronicle the crimes of the Trump administration. And the, it's not even the crimes. I mean, you know, the crimes are fairly, fairly awful, but just the bizarre and hysterical and hateful nature of it is shocking. So anyhow, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.